You're listening to the Eagle Air broadcast, a virtual Winthrop Day. Joseph Casco, Mark Nortz here with you today. We're joined now by Dr. Scott Huffman. He's director of the Winthrop Poll and a professor of political science. Scott, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, absolutely. My pleasure. So tell us your Winthrop story. Tell us how you ended up at Winthrop. Well, I grew up in North Carolina, and my wife grew up in Charlotte, um, just across the border. And when I was finishing my PhD, you know, I went out on the market. I actually got quite a few offers, but they were all over the country, nowhere near home. And several of them were at, you know, kind of more research-oriented places. And I really love teaching. It's an important part of, of who I am and what I do. And, you know, uh, the hiring season was almost over. And suddenly this job comes out of nowhere at Winthrop University, which, of course, I knew because I'd grown up in North Carolina. I knew where Winthrop was and what it was. And so I applied, uh, came down here and uh, and pretended that I was uh, a, a, a good person, decent professor. And uh, they <laughs> bought it. And I've been here for uh, nearly 20 yeah. years. Uh, you'll have to let us know what that scam was you ran so yes. that we can continue <laughs> to perpetrate it. Um, tell me about the Winthrop poll and how that all came together. Because, you know, when I was hired here two years ago, you know, I was thinking, well, I know one person at Winthrop, and it's Scott Huffman, because so often as I was reporting in South Carolina, especially down covering the State House, I would reference the Winthrop poll in my reporting. So super well known for that, and, and certainly a thing that gets the Winthrop name out there a lot. Tell us about how that all came together. Well, it sort of came out in a, a roundabout way. It, it started because one of the things I was hired to do, and you know, in addition to my other specialties in political science, was teaching research methods, and and that's mostly statistics. It's research design and and statistics. And when I was an undergraduate, um, taking my political science research methods class, we had made up data. And we learned the statistics using made up data and I, we never got to actually conduct research. So I thought, you know, if we're going to teach these students how to conduct political science research, we should do it for real. Um, and so the very first what became the Winthrop poll eventually was, um, you know, this was back in 2002, 2003. Most people still had landlines, if you can remember that far back. Um, I uh, created a way to generate random phone numbers because, you know, you can't use the phone book, back, you know, back, either back then either because 35% of phone numbers are unlisted. Um, and I would basically supervise students on regular landline phones, holding them to their ear, uh, you know, punching in the numbers. And we would do small, very small polls that way and then crunch the data. And it sort of began you know, growing from there to, uh, you know, now it's uh, all callers, whether they're students or not, go through professional training. We have about three plus million dollars in, in contracts, but we only take kind of public entities. So, for example, now we're <laughs> calling for the Centers for Disease Control of, of all coincidences. Nice. But we also all do the Winthrop poll. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, as it's grown, we've been able to poll on issues that were important to South Carolinians. You know, most politicians only care about registered voters of their own party. Well, when we were able to show the legislature some of our results, 
there have been laws that have been changed because of that. And Winthrop students have been able to, to, you know, be in on the ground floor of literally changing the law in their state. And that a lot of them have, have come back and said that it was an amazing experience. I just want to ask you one quick question related to the Winthrop poll before we let Mark jump in here, but you get a lot of interview requests. What's like the farthest place or, you know, the most obscure media outlet you've heard from where you, where it shows that the Winthrop name has reached? Well, I'll give you two examples. And the first is TBS. And I thought, well, I know TBS. I mean, I'm a Braves fan, for God's sake. Charles sure, Barkley wanted to interview you? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, and so this interview request comes in. And this woman comes in with a film crew uh, and says, you know, here's, here's my card. I'll be doing most of the translation. Uh, it was the Tokyo Broadcasting Service. Wow. Um, oh. And... They had come in and, uh, and they had an interpreter and, uh, and I did an interview and that was one of the, the presidential races. And then of course, when our former governor, Nikki Haley was running, um, our results were all over, uh, papers and news, uh, in India. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. Um, you know, seeing that we're, we're doing these, uh, this series of interviews with, uh, faculty and alumni and everything for virtual Winthrop day, when, um, Students come to campus and they bring their parents with them, and they, they look at political science. Um, like, what do you tell them as far as like what what's the job market like? What can I do with a political science um, degree? You know, we actually we have a board, a billboard, a bulletin board on our hall that literally says that. What can you do with the, or what can I do with a political science degree? And the the truth is, we have successful alumni everywhere from you know being literal judges here in South Carolina to successful real estate, business, a lot of people in the public sector. Um, the thing about say something like political science is it gives you an understanding of the government and of society in a way that everybody's going to have to know. If you're a contractor, you work every day under government regulations and rules. And so what we do in political science is, is kind of teach you how to examine problems and critically think about solutions, right? So I have a, a, a friend, you know, from the 80s back in college, and he was learning, I can't remember what it was, COBOL, I think. And he came out with a skill that was marketable then. Well, you know, every few years he had to update it because, you know, uh, old programming languages die off and you have to learn the new ones. And, you know, while we're not training you to be a, obviously a computer programmer, we're training you to be adaptive and to actually look at problems in new ways with new solutions, which is why, again, we, you know, everybody thinks, oh, poli-sci going to become lawyer. Sure, we have plenty of those. Um, but we have even more that are in, you know, the business world or the public sector and, you know, and especially the ones who have gone to grad school, they always, always call back and say, I was head and shoulders above my other first year grad school students because of the education I got at Winthrop. And that always makes us proud. I want to ask you about the election, Scott. Um, last time you and I spoke, it was just a couple days before the South Carolina primary. And... You know, I had asked you about Bernie Sanders appearing to be the front runner and Joe Biden's campaign maybe, you know, being in serious trouble. And, you know, you had talked about how important this Jim Clyburn endorsement was going to be. 
Did you have any idea how drastically things would change after the primary where things just totally reversed, Biden becoming the front runner and now Sanders out of the race? Well, you know, the Sanders out of the race, no. Um, I knew that the, you know, a Jim Clyburn endorsement was make or break for, for Joe Biden. I think, and that's nothing, you know, truly innovative. Jim Clyburn's voice is stunningly important to African-Americans in South Carolina and African-Americans are over 60% of the South Carolina Democratic presidential primary. Um, so I knew it would swing him. I knew it would give him a boost. I expected it to definitely go from, you know, a win of low single digits, mid single digits to um, double digits, maybe in the upper teens at, at the best. Um, but the actual size in which it swung it, I, there's no way. I absolutely did not predict that big. I knew the swing would happen. I thought it would be significant enough to put Biden back in the race. I did not know it would be giant enough to essentially win him the race. You're listening to the Eagle Air broadcast of Virtual Winthrop Day. Joseph Casco, Mark Nortz here, and we're speaking with Scott Huffman, director of the Winthrop Poll and a professor of political science. Uh, another question about the, the election. How does the, the shutdown, the pandemic, you've seen a few states cancel their primaries. Um, Ohio, I believe, held their primary and was criticized pretty heavily for it. How do you think the election has impacted moving forward during this lockdown and during the pandemic? Well, and yeah, Wisconsin held a, a you know, in-person voting and, and there have already been COVID-19 cases um, traced back to that. Um, what we're going to see is a fight in the courts over voting by mail. Um, voting by mail has been done for, you know, for just about forever. Uh, Donald Trump in, in uh, 2018 voted by mail in Florida. Uh, every one of our service members overseas who votes, votes by mail. Um, but voting by mail can often give a slight edge uh, to Democrats. And that uh, is what um, a lot of Republican and Republican legislatures are afraid of. So we're going to see some fights that have originated because of COVID-19 um, over things like voting by mail. Um, you know, and in Florida, the, some of these things were already ongoing. Uh, you know, former felons got the right to vote back. So they, you know, were passing laws to say, okay, but you, you have to have paid all potential fines in addition to have served your time. So these fights were going to happen irrespective. But COVID-19, and especially the way in-person voting has shown, you know, uh, increases in cases, um, is changing the tenor of them. Um, and, and for once, it's not too much to say that it's possibly a life and death situation. Um, so, yeah, expect to see continued fights. Do you think when this all blows over and we actually do have the presidential race and it doesn't go the way some party thinks it should go, do you think we're going to see stuff tied up in the courts? Well, uh, it's, you know, that's potentially the case. You know, Donald Trump. Um, when he was expecting to, to lose, uh, you know, in the days running up to the 2016 presidential election was talking about massive voter fraud. You know, the polls are not, you're not going to be able to believe the polls. 
And then, then he won via the, you know, he got 3 million fewer votes, but he won because of the Electoral College. So, you know, something in the Constitution our founders threw in there because they didn't trust the rank and file people. But um, to the degree that it is close, uh, absolutely. You're going to see, you know, Donald Trump, you know, fighting tooth and nail against it. And if he loses, certainly, um, I, I think there's a, a huge possibility of something arising in the courts, be it for about vote counting, uh, counting electoral college votes, um, or even the handover of power. Uh, that is entirely possible. Again, you know, the things that have happened in the past few years, um, you know, are just obviously not standard. And so, you know, those of us who teach American government have, you know, had to add little sections with asterisk that, you know, that basically say this is how it's traditionally done. Mm -hmm. However, and, and that has has sort of uh, wound its way into to virtually every lecture we give in those intro classes. What do you think about how leaders and politicians have been handling this pandemic? Do you think that it's being politicized? Do you think it's they're they're doing an okay job of of not making it a political issue, or do you think it could be more or less? What's your reaction to well, it? I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that it's been politicized. There are um, there are are you know groups that are sort of astroturfing. If you look at where funding is is coming from in a lot of these states like Michigan and Idaho that have had these um, so-called protests, it turns out that a lot of their their domain names. Um, are registered by the same folks. So it has been absolutely politicized. We've seen people hired and fired from the administration over, you know, what they've said about uh, America's response to the coronavirus. So, you know, it's definitely been politicized. One of the things that, that has been interesting from an academic standpoint, none of this is interesting from a human standpoint. It's all, you know, terrible and we want this to be over. But from a, a political science standpoint, we have seen the importance of understanding federalism rise to the top of the public conversation in ways it hasn't in years. You know, Donald Trump saying, I have the sole power to reopen the economy. And then you know, a lot of folks saying, actually, you don't. It's nowhere in the Constitution. And then when you read the Tenth Amendment, it certainly means that it's the power of the states, not the president. And then the president saying, and Jared Kushner, his son-in-law and advisor saying, you know, our, um, you know, emergency supply of, of protective personal uh, equipment um, is not there for the states. And it's sort of, well, actually, it, it, it should be, and it, that's written into the law. So, one of the amazing things is this understanding of federalism that people are being, you know, uh, forced to begin to, to wrestle with. But in answer to your other question, there is zero doubt that it's being politicized and weaponized. Do you have a favorite Winthrop story? You know, as we switch gears just a little bit, do you have a moment that you think about that? That's my quintessential Winthrop moment. Um, there's, there, there's a few first off, and, and this is one of the things about teaching remotely. Um, I miss, miss my students. There is, there is something about being in a classroom and you're explaining a topic, something you're passionate about. 
that uh, that when you see that one student in the back corner, it's almost almost as if a light bulb actually goes off and they begin to get it and they begin to ask questions and get into it. There's it's just it gives your heart this sort of like tingle that you I just can't imagine. I genuinely miss that. Um, I think one of the moments that I come back to many, many times is maybe my third or fourth year here. And um, one of my students was deeply, deeply struggling with scope and methods. That's our, again, statistics and research class. And that student just, for some reason, was having a, a mental block and struggling through the whole class. And at the, the, the final exam, um, that student is the last one left. Um, and they begin just bawling because they just can't do it. And so I sit down, I don't give them any answers, but I start talking them through, okay, do you, you know, remember in class when we were talking about this, what would you do if that were the case? And so I walked that student through those ideas without giving the student any answers and they finished the exam, they passed, and that student is uh, now a, 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 a judge in state courts. And I couldn't be prouder um, to have been a part of that student's journey. And to me, that's what sort of sets Winthrop aside from you know, other, other places. I have one daughter at Winthrop and one daughter at a, a large uh, state university in another state. Um, that daughter would never have a professor sit down with them and and help them in an emotional moment like that and that's one of the things that makes me proud to teach at Winthrop. Yeah, awesome story that is an awesome story um, seeing that you don't have the contact with the students and you're spending quality time with yourself and um, you know probably solving a lot of world problems and everything um, a lot of people we've talked to they they've picked music that that gets them through this time and so we got to ask, you know, do you have a pandemic playlist? Well, well, sort of. I mean, you know, there's stuff I always go back to. Um, you know, I grew up in the 80s, so Prince. There's just that's that's it. That's the top. There's no no artist like Prince through his entire catalog. So, you know, I, I still occasionally go back um, and, and and watch, uh, you know, the the. Purple Rain movie just to see it. Um, you know, some of the others are. Uh, there's a, a punk band I like called the Dead Milkmen, and uh, they have a, a catalog which is just amazing that gets me through. Times a lot of their songs are deeply hilarious, and uh, and for the first time in a long time, uh, again I guess this goes back to the '80s, but I've been re-listening to Tears for Fears. Uh, and, uh, and I guess that's, I, I never had an emo phase, so I guess loving tears for fears was the closest I got to it. But, uh, let me tell you of all the songs I'm listening to those three sets of artists, uh, Prince, Dead Milkman and Tears for Fears, um, are coming up a whole lot followed closely by, uh, Iggy Pop. And then it's just sort of all over the place. Wow. I, I guess a song like Everybody Wants to Rule the World is a good thing for a political scientist to uh, to be listening to for on repeat for 12 hours, right? Yeah, well, it's basically yeah the, the story of my life. <laughs> well, uh, if you like uh, uh, punk music that has a little humor to it, for me in the 90s, there was a band called Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. 
that we used to play all the time on our college radio show, and they uh, would do cover songs. And uh-huh. my favorite was their cover of Tammy Wynette's Stand By Your Man. So uh, oh. get on YouTube, <laughs> check that out, add it to your Will. pandemic playlist, and uh, it's, a, it's a real hit. It'll, it'll, it'll make the, the rotation, I promise. <laughs> Dr. Huffman, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Very, very much my pleasure. Thank you all for doing this. That was Dr. Scott Huffman, director of the Winthrop Poll and a professor of political science. You're listening to the Eagle Air broadcast of Virtual Winthrop Day.